Welcome to Birthright, a podcast about joy and healing in Black birth, where we share positive birth stories of those who have lived out their birthright and help heal those who have been denied it. My name is Kimberly Seals Allers, and I'm the founder of the Earth app and your host. This is where we celebrate the ways we find joy in our birthing experiences and ultimately reclaim our birthright. Today, we have a special episode focused on the power and potential of stories. I started Birthright because I was deeply concerned about the doom and gloom narrative common in Black maternal health and that the story of Black birth needed more lessons from positive experiences and quite frankly, more joy. Stories matter and they are powerful tools to shift cultural norms, shape policies, drive change, and to reverse harmful narratives. That is what Birthright is all about. But how do we shift the mainstream narrative in Black birth and breastfeeding? What is needed? Who is missing? And quite frankly, will the powers in Hollywood ever let us own this narrative? Today, I'm honored to have with me one of my favorite storytellers in the birth space. She's a New York Times bestselling author many times over. And before there were so many Black children's books, her Please Baby Please and Please Puppy Please series written with her husband, Spike Lee, allowed our children to see themselves in Black and beautiful ways. Tanya Lewis Lee is an award-winning producer, entrepreneur, and advocate for women's health. She has produced several TV projects, including The Watsons Go to Birmingham, which she wrote, The Giver, She's Gotta Have It, and Monster. Back in 2009, Tanya produced Crisis in the Crib, a groundbreaking documentary about the nation's unconscionable Black infant mortality crisis centered in Memphis, Tennessee. This year, she co-produced Aftershock, now streaming on Hulu, go watch it everyone, a powerful documentary which follows the stories of two amazing men whose lives are forever changed by Black maternal deaths. Tanya has been a champion for telling Black stories authentically and unapologetically across media platforms, and she has used this skill to shed a light on Black birth and Black families in wonderful and delicious ways. I'm so honored to have her here with me today for this conversation. Tanya, welcome to Birthright. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and thank you for having me, Kimberly. Oh, great. So let's talk a little bit about your background and when you saw yourself as a storyteller. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's interesting. I think that as a young person, I was a writer. Um, I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to write poems about my angst, you know, the way a lot of young people do, uh, just sort of working out my emotional feelings. And I like to write. Uh, I was a writer in school, but never really understood that I could actually have a career being a storyteller. And in fact, when I graduated from college, was thinking I wanted to work in television, but, but didn't know anyone who had ever worked in television, didn't know how to get into the industry. And my parents were like, I don't understand that world. You need to go to law school or business school. And so I chose to go to law school. Uh, I don't regret it. I think it was the right thing for me. I'm glad I did it. And then, you know, really when my children were young uh, and I began to see how they were seeing themselves as brown children in a world of white media, 
I felt like at one point I was looking at children's books and I was like, there are just not enough uh, children's books that feature kids that look like mine. And maybe somebody should, and maybe I should. And so that's sort of how I really began uh, my career as a storyteller. So interesting. So tell us a little bit more about Bumi Birthright is a podcast essentially about Black birth. So tell us a little bit about your own birth experiences and how they shaped you as a woman, perhaps as a producer in your own journey. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a long it's a long time ago now that I actually gave birth. My, my oldest is 27 and my youngest is 25. Uh, but I will say that, you know, when I, when it was time for me to, when I was pregnant, I, I was relatively young these days, I guess, as people, not that young, but I was 27, uh, 28 when I gave birth to my daughter, 30 when I gave birth to my son. And I think that back then I didn't feel very empowered. You know, I, I think I went to the doctor. In fact, my, the first ob I had was a friend of my family's and I sort of followed her lead and everybody around me was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And this is what you should do. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess this is what I should be doing. And I didn't really have a lot of agency. I just sort of, I just sort of fell into things. I, uh, when I had my son, the first ob that I had, had moved out of the New York area. So I had to find another doctor. I knew I wanted a black doctor. So I found a, another black woman, but in retrospect, not really the best probably the best doctor for me. Uh, and again, just was not aware of the kind of agency that I should have had. Uh, and I would say that, um, you know, look, I think any woman going through birth, when you, come, when you come out of it, no matter what your birth experience is, you go through, it is a rite of passage. And you do come out on the other side, a, a mother, a, a sort of a different woman. And I think that, having children, I don't know that my birth experience, because again, as I said, I felt I didn't feel as empowered as I should have. But I do feel as a mother that I am more empowered, stronger than I knew I could ever be. And I hope that for my daughter and my son's partner, when he has one, uh, who he has a child with, I hope for them that they have a, a, a more sense of empowerment, certainly than I did. And now that I know, I can be, I hopefully, helpful, but not in the way. Exactly. Well, you know, I always think of this work as something we're doing for our children and our children's children, right? Um, and that it is, you know, generational and, and perhaps too generational work for us to shift what we're trying to shift. One of the things that I am so interested in and inspired by is this narrative in Black maternal health. And we've had these conversations, you know, tell me like what concerns you, or what has perhaps concerned you about the narrative of Black maternal health and what excites you about what we're seeing in the narrative of Black maternal health? Well, what has concerned me uh, had been this sort of narrative that Black women dying at higher rates than white women in the United States from childbirth complications was her fault, was the fault of the Black woman. Uh, it, it's her fault that she, you know, she, first of all, she's in poverty. It's her fault she's in poverty. It's her fault that she's not healthy. She doesn't take care of herself. She doesn't go to the doctor. She doesn't seek help. And so therefore, ultimately, the system is there for her, but it's not, you know, she's not accessing it. And that's just not true. It's just not the facts. Certainly from my experience in knowing Black women, meeting all sorts of Black women across the spectrum, 
you know? And so what's exciting to me right now is that that narrative is shifting. I think what I am seeing is that healthcare providers, hospital systems, uh, insurance companies are looking at the data because data is what drives them. And they're realizing they cannot blame black women for the circumstances in which we find ourselves today and that they have a role to play and how to make it better. Now, at the same time, there, there does remain a little resistance, but I, I'm okay with that as long as we're having the conversation, which I see happening. Uh, and so I, I'm excited because I also know that there are amazing people out there who've been doing this work for a long time, people like yourself, Kimberly, people like many of the people we know who are on the front lines day to day, nobody else knows, grinding out there without a lot of shine, without a lot of coin, to really make for better birth outcomes for all of us. And I think, I think we are getting, we're getting down to it. Uh, and I think as a nation, we're gonna have to make the decision about now that we know what we know, are we really gonna do something about it or are we just gonna let it continue to go as it's going? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's a process for shifting, right? You know, and, and a shift is not necessarily always a sharp turn or a pivot. And I get concerned about the damage that has been done. I mean, if you have seen some of the messages we get, even just DMs on Earth app or whatever, where people are like, I, I, I need to do a will before I deliver. And I'm, I'm worried about creating a will. And, you know, let's talk about the power of like the damage done by that narrative, right? And, and how long it will take to, to kind of reverse it. Because there's a fine line between awareness raising, and we know that the statistics and the stories, unfortunately, the sensationalized headlines, you know, play a role in getting people's attention. But in your opinion, what is that fine line between awareness raising and actually creating fear and fear mongering amongst our own people, which is also very dangerous? How, how do those, two, should those two coexist? And what does that line look like for you? Well, I think first and foremost, I think it's critical that we know what's happening. I don't think we can bury our heads in the sand and ignore the issue or the problem. We're seeing it. We know what's happening out there. So we have to acknowledge that, yes, there is something going on. What is it? And then I think, I think the key is to understanding our power in it and not feeling like we are just victims of the system, right? Like that, that we do as a people have power and agency. I keep using that word today, agency in our outcomes. And, and what I mean by that is, yes, okay, identify the problem. There's a situation that's happening out there. What are the options for us? And I would say that, um, you know, yes, you've got to make a plan for your life, but maybe think about what are the other options? You don't, you, you can, and like I said, I didn't know when I was giving birth what options were out there. I just thought, okay, I find a doctor. This is the doctor. Okay. She tells me I should do this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go to this hospital. Okay. And, and that, that was just kind of, in a way for me, kind of ignorant. I should have done a little more homework, quite frankly. I should have found what other options there were for me. I should have tried to educate myself on midwifery instead of just believing, you know, what was being put out in front of me. So I think that 
as we see what the issue is out there happening, I think the balance is to go out there and find what other options are available, educate ourselves as much as possible, and not fall into the fear uh, lane, but fall into the power lane and take that power back and say, okay, this is an issue out here. What are my options? Can I find a great doctor? Let me go and do a lot of research and homework. Can I find a midwife? Are there birthing centers for me? If for me is, is, is a home birth better, what would a home birth look like? And don't be afraid to look at options, but be open-minded and um, find the situation that best suits oneself. Yeah, I love that. I too had a lot of birth regret. For like, I was like, you know, I didn't have what I wanted for years. If I met a midwife or a doula, I would tell them what happened and ask them what I could have done differently so I didn't have to have a C-section. And finally, my girlfriend was like, isn't your son 10? Like, maybe you need to get over it or talk to a therapist or something. But it really stays with you, you know? And, you, you know, I'm like, just like you, I wish I had known, you know, I knew a little but not enough. Um, and so I do hope that we are in a greater period of awareness, right? If it's, you know, options, even if you're going to the hospital, can you have a doula? Many midwives may deliver in a hospital. Is a childbirth center an option for you? Like you said, is a home birth an option for you? And so I feel like exactly right. Like if we can get people to understand, like at least to explore your options, that would be a huge win. And so when we talk about this idea of, you know, kind of storytelling in Black Birth, I want to talk to you about Aftershock, um, the documentary now, now streaming on Hulu, which has just been phenomenal. Um, it's so empowering. It's so inspirational. I mean, it, it also is rage-inducing, you know, there are, you, you will be screaming, but I think that at the end, you walk away feeling hopeful. Tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about that storytelling process, what that was like for you and your co-producer, and why you decided to tell the story. Right. Well, first of all, it goes back to what we were just talking about, striking that balance, uh, telling the story of something that is scary and traumatic, quite frankly, for our community but trying to tell that story to raise awareness, but at the same time, trying to be inspirational and, and empowering. Because the last thing I want people to come away from this film feeling is fear to give birth, because I want lots of brown babies out there. there we are such a small segment of the population as Black Americans that I want us to pro keep procreating and procreating. So I hope that people come away from the film like, okay, when I, when I have a baby, I'm going to look for the situation that works for me and I'm excited to do this, even though, yes, we see tragedy happen. Uh, for some people. And so for Paula Izal, uh, my co-director and co-producer, it was really important that we strike uh, that balance. And we really wanted people, so I appreciate you saying that, that we wanted people to come away feeling inspired and hopeful. But at the same time, we wanted people to understand that when a mother does die, she's not a number, she's not a statistic, she really is a person who leaves behind children, partners, parents, family, community that is devastated by her loss. And so it matters that she lost, is lost in this way. Uh, and so it was a process of two, two and a half years uh, through the pandemic. We filmed uh, in New York, in um, 
Tulsa, Oklahoma, and DC a little bit. We, you know, we followed a couple of families who had lost women to childbirth complications. Uh, two of the surviving fathers uh, we follow closely as they're picking up the pieces and supporting one another. We follow the mother of uh, someone who passed away who was activated as well. She was an activist to begin with, but became even more activated. At the same time, we followed a woman who was pregnant who in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who thought she was going to give birth the, the regular quote unquote way at the hospital with the doctor and sort of at the last minute decides that she's going to explore what her options are and ends up finding a birthing center uh, and has a beautiful, amazing birth. Not to spoil it for everyone, but but I, I you know, it, it's a beautiful birth that she has the kind that we would all hope we all have. And I actually, birth. it was, and I actually saw her a couple of weeks ago and uh, with her husband and her daughter, Lily, who is now 18 months and walking and just the most adorable, delicious little baby. So yeah, it was a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think that what one, one of the many things that I, I, I love about Aftershock is the way that you center the Black men, right? And I think that, to your point, we often forget about those who are left behind and who has to literally pick up the pieces when there is a death, you know, um, unnecessary death during pregnancy or afterwards. And, you know, really centering these Black men. Was that an easy or a tough decision for you guys to think about talking about Black maternal health through the lens of Black men? You know, it was a natural process, actually. You know, I think as filmmakers, we set out to follow the story. And um, in one of the first shoots that we had together, it was uh, Amari having a circle of men come around to talk who had also lost uh, partners. It was two months after Shamani's passing. And, you know, we saw right there this vulnerability uh, with these men and just following Omari. And then Amber passed away several months uh, after that first gathering. And Omari reached out to Amber and they struck up a friendship and it just felt natural. Uh, mm -hmm. They are the ones that are left behind. They're the ones who are picking up the pieces. And they, they, quite frankly, are very activated. Like I said, two months after Shimani passed away, Omari has this men's circle. I want to say a week maybe after Amber passed away, Bruce had uh, a press conference uh, in front of the hospital that we were able to film. So they got active very, very quickly, and, and we jumped on to follow them. Yeah. And so, you know, very similarly, I started this podcast because I thought there was a need to focus on joy, right? And I one of the things I really enjoy about Aftershock is that it does give you moments of joy. How do we do that, right? Like, I don't even, I don't know, like I have a very intentional way, but if we're thinking about how we need to kind of create a new narrative in Black birth, how do we bring in joy? Is that okay? Are people ready for it? And what is the value of that for you as you look at this, you know, story making and storytelling in your work? Well, I think we definitely need joy for sure. And we need to be focusing on joy. I think that as Black people in our society, in the society that we live in, um, you know, when you are 
existing under a system of oppression, it is critical that you carve out moments of joy. That's part of being revolutionary, I think, in a way. At the same time, we have to be realistic about the world in which we live, right? So, but but you have to have those moments of joy. You have to have those moments of levity and laughter. That's, that's called being human. And uh, we have to find that even as we are fighting. And again, I think that it's really important that we have these conversations, that we uncover stories and history. I mean, one of the things we talk about in the film is the history of midwifery as part of the missing piece in the United States that is really causing I think a lot of um, these issues that we're having for black maternal health. All other industrialized nations have midwifery have have midwifery care at the core of women's health. The United States is the only one that does not, and it's based on a racist premise. It's something that I did not come to this film expecting to uncover, but when I uncovered it, it was like, oh, it was an aha moment. And so we we go we go down on that road uh, with Helena Grant, who really uh, explains it all to us. So I think we have to have the serious conversation. But on the flip side, you know, there are moments of laughter in the film, which I think is is really important, too. Mm -hmm. Did you know that less than 15 minutes of your time can help make Black birth safer for us all? Earth, as in the word birth, but we drop the B for bias is the first of its kind nonprofit rating and recommendation platform for black and brown women and birthing people to find and leave reviews of their OBGYNs, birthing hospitals, and pediatricians. My name is Kimberly Seals Allers, and I created the Earth app because I wish I had it when I gave birth. I learned the hard way that reading the doctor and hospital reviews at mainstream sites, which were overwhelmingly from white parents, was just not helpful to me as a Black single mother at the time. Earth is by us and for us. In less than 15 minutes, you can complete the structured review of your birthing experience. Also, tell us about your prenatal, postpartum, and newborn care so we can inform and protect each other. We turn Earth's anonymous reviews into meaningful data to work directly with hospitals, payers, and providers to improve our care now. When it comes to safe, respectful, and dignified care, we got us. Download the free Earth app now and leave your reviews. Follow the Earth app on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I would like to remind people that, you know, it's it's about the midwives, but, it, but like you said, it's about the midwifery model of care, right? That is so, that is so transformative to our birth experiences. And so you're really looking for that model of care, not necessarily who catches your baby or delivers. I learned a lot about that in your film. Well, yeah, we don't use that word anymore. Right. We don't use that word. We don't use that word. Nobody um, delivers a baby, women birth baby. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, but that model of care, which is very different from, you know, the kind of industrial medical complex version of it is what is so helpful to us. You know, you mentioned systems of oppression. And so I want to talk about the challenges of talking about Black birth in Hollywood, what that's been for you. This, you know, your first film, Crisis in the Crib, really looked at infant mortality, um, now Aftershock. You know, share a little bit about what it's like. What are the real challenges of trying to tell these stories about Black birth and Black birthing and birth families in the Hollywood system? 
Well, look, it's hard telling stories about uh, like fully realized black people in general in Hollywood, you know? And I think, you know, for us, we kind of went out of the system in a way, you know, we, it's an independent film. We raise the funds in different ways from a mix of grants and equity from different investors, uh, cobbled it together. I will say I was struck by how well received we were in raising the funds. You know, there were some people at the very beginning uh, who were telling us that this film, you know, we had a budget for what the film would cost and they were telling us it was too expensive. This type of film cannot cost that much money. And I was like, well, we can't make it. for anything less because it will not be the kind of film that it's supposed to be. Uh, And we stuck to our guns and found really great people who care about the issue, individuals out there, but the Hollywood system, you know, it's hard. It's really, really hard to tell a story about just black love, black joy, much less black health and wellness from the perspective of fully realized people. Again, that's not her fault, (laughs) that it's the system's fault, right? But we were fortunate uh, that we had really great angels come on board and support us throughout this process. And did you ever feel that the type of story that you were telling, if you were willing to kind of go the other route, that it may have been an easier route for you? You know, I I don't know, because I think that it, it, it would never have been. So I, I, I can't say that, you know, I can only say that if I had chosen, if I had tried to say, oh, okay, well, you think I can't make it for this, so I have to slash the budget, it would have, it wouldn't have been a, it, it could not have been what it is, because we wouldn't have had the resources to make it the way we needed to make it. So it could never have, it would never have been able to be even elevated to the level that it is because we wouldn't have had the resources to create a piece of art because again, you know, yes, this is a film about the subject matter, but it is a piece of art. And, and what I mean by that is like, it, it takes, and it takes a lot. It takes a lot of people. It's not just me and my co-producer. Uh, we, we are a part of a big team of people that we have to hire and pay. Nobody works for free and nor should they. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and there's a lot of work and effort that goes into it across the board, and it costs money. Yeah. And speaking of art, you all won at Sundance. What was that like? Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, you know, again, pandemic life, we were not able to be in person at Sundance, but we did uh, win an Impact for Change Award, which is amazing and still like, you know, unbelievable in some ways to me that again, a film about Black maternal health. Um, is recognized for the craft of the film that it is and for the impact that, that we are able to have on people with the film. Uh, so that's been amazing. And it's just been, you know, uh, the film came, so Sundance was in January. The film came out uh, on Sundance in July and the reception has been phenomenal. Uh, we've had interest from uh, not just community, but from hospitals and insurance companies and various doctors and organizations that want to use the film as a conversation starter around these issues. Now, I had heard, I did hear that there were some doctors, some ob who felt like we were coming for them initially and that, that uh, you know, 
were a little defensive. But but what I appreciate about that, though, is that it also they began having conversations with each other. So I'm okay if these doctors are a little uncomfortable at first, as long as it starts a conversation to make them have to think, well, why are people, why are they talking about us like that? Well, what is our, what do we have to say about this? What is, what is our place in trying to make it better? So it's all good. Absolutely. It's all good. I mean, their comfort is, has not my priority. (laughs) I'm here for the black about birthing folks. Obviously like our work with earth is all about, you you folks have got to be held accountable, right? And Absolutely. so, and if that makes you uncomfortable, I you know that's that's a you problem, not a me problem, as they say. Um, but it it needs to happen, and the conversations need to happen. You know, speaking of which, like, what is your vision for aftershock? Like, what is it that you want it to be in the world? Is it about the conversation starter? Is it about something more? What is your you know kind of vision for what you want aftershock to be? You know, I I really, I guess, you know, people have asked me this question and it's a tough one because it's like you you create it and you put it out in the world and it's kind of like you let the world, you know, decide what it is. But I I would say I hope it's the type of film that um, I hope it helps to shift the narrative. I hope it helps to shift the culture of birthing in this country. I hope it's one of those those films that people come back to, it's like, oh, right, what did they say? What, what was it about the history of midwifery? Why is it that midwifery works? I, 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 and what is it, uh, as you say, the model of care? You know, there are, there are certain films, and I will say, like um, the Ricky Lake, The Business of Being Born film is one of those films that I think many of us always go back to because it was somewhat eye-opening, certainly then. And I hope that Aftershock... Mm-hmm. Uh, is one of those as well that is eye-opening for a lot of people. And that, especially in this day and time when we are post-Roe, Dobbs decision, I, I really hope that in 2022, 2023, that we are the definitive film on reproductive uh, justice and reproductive health in, in the United States right now. I love that vision. I love that vision. I like something big and bold. Um, What else will it take if we're thinking about shifting the narrative? We know we need more films, right? Like what are the other pieces that perhaps, you know, um, as you look at the landscape and what you think it takes to shift narratives, what are the other pieces? What else do we need more of for this to kind of become a reality in your opinion? Well, I think it's, again, I think it's continuing to uplift the work of those that are doing it day in, day out, Um, uh, being, uh, supporting those people who are on the ground. I think that these conversations need to be seeping in in all kinds of ways. Uh, You know, we talk about Hollywood, it doesn't have to be a full film, but it can, you know, these conversations need to be slipping in. I think that medical institutions, medical schools need to be thinking about what they're doing. And, and I think, I think language matters. I think how we talk about birthing, uh, as, as women, um, one of the things that I really like to do and haven't done that much of in the past couple of years because of the pandemic is women getting together, talk about our health in general, always, uh, always a good thing, right? Uh, when we come together, I know, um, uh, Michelle Obama has a book coming out uh, this fall, and she's going to go on a tour and just talking about wellness in general. 
and what that looks like. So, you know, I think whenever we get together as women to talk about our health and our wellness and share our experiences and understand it's like what you said, you know, when you're talking, when you used to tell your birth story to midwives and doulas, like, I think that stuff is important. You know, I mean, it's funny to hear you it say is important. That. Right. It is like we have to share. Um, we have to share. It was it was healing for me because many of us are holding some forms of trauma. And I think, you know, that's the other piece of it. It's not just about the deaths. Right. There's also this spectrum of, you know, that could start with regret to I wish I did. I wish I had known to I was disrespected to I didn't feel I had agency. You know, like there's a whole spectrum of harm that that's kind of being carried in our community. Um, and we need all of those stories to come out so people can understand that, you know, um, that's possible as well. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's fascinating because with Aftershock, I've had so many people tell me their stories. I think you're so right. I mean, most of us have had some sort of trauma in the birthing experience. I've had women come up to me and say, after they've seen the film, I've never told anybody this before, but this horrible thing happened while I was birthing. And I just, my body hasn't been right since. And I didn't feel like I could say anything. Like you just take it and accept like it. Uh, and I think that the more we share that, the more hopefully we'll empower our daughters. And um, like you say, generationally, we'll see, we'll see improvement. Mm -hmm. That silence is so dangerous, you know, and even on the other side of it, I've had people reach out who have had a positive birth experience and they actually feel guilty. Like they've seen mm. what's happening to their sisters. They've seen, you know, all the things and they actually felt silenced because they had a positive experience and didn't want to say it, right? Because knowing that they felt so lucky when in fact it was what they actually deserved and what we all deserve, right? And so the silencing wow. is happening on both sides and that's incredibly dangerous, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. And look, I, I, I will say that again, that I think that birthing is truly a rite of passage for those of us who decide to have children. Um, and as Helena Grant, the midwife in our film says that is when, when a woman uh, births a child, she's not just birthing a child, she's birthing a mother. Uh, and, I, and I really believe that for whatever reason, what we have to go through in terms of if there is pain or discomfort as you're laboring, because it is labor, bring this baby here, I, I believe there's a reason for that, right? That we know, like I said earlier, if you go, when you go through that, you can do anything for this now baby that you have to take care of for the rest of your life. And I think we need to not be afraid of pain and discomfort, but go inward, find our strength in it. Um, and, and share it with everybody. I mean, you know, um, because it is amazing. I mean, birth is an amazing, amazing natural process. Right. We are not sick people. Nice. Our bodies are built to do it. It is beyond amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and we should be excited about the opportunity to be able to do it, look forward to it, and be able to tap into that power within ourselves. Yeah, that's so powerful. Um, as we get close to wrapping, I want to talk to you about the power of Black-led storytelling, right? And, you know, I think Black maternal health prior to part of the narrative was often being told by white teams and white directors and, you know, um, and I think that contributed to that 
In fact, I got to a point where when I was being, um, you know, reached out to people, reach out to me asking me to be in a film and it was a white film person. I would just tell them this isn't for you. Right. And I get students at Columbia and all the places who are want to do something on Black maternal health. I'm like, is it your story to tell? Right. And so what is the value of Black led, you know, Black involved, Black folks at the table in shifting this narrative? Why is that important or is it not that important? Um, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. I think Black-led storytelling is critical. I, I think, um, you know, it is really important that we tell our stories our way. Um, I, I, you know, it, you know going, going through the process. And again, my partner is not, not Black in this film. Uh, and... Um, you know, she, from the beginning was like, well, I don't have this experience as a black woman. So obviously I need, uh, but there are, you know, there are subtle things. There are things that are subtle and nuanced that are huge and important, uh, in the storytelling, right. Um, and getting it right and making sure that we're representing ourselves in a way that people understand properly. Uh, and so we have to be at the table uh to be able to make sure that we're telling the stories in truly the right way representing ourselves in truly the right way and there are differences there there just are there are cultural differences there are artistic differences and i and what i mean by that is it's not just as simple as you know making sure sometimes that you know well and it can be it can be as simple as making sure skin tones look right on screen it can be as simple as making sure that the full narrative of a person, of a character that you're telling is rounded out, that you're not missing a piece because, you know, someone doesn't think it's important or is not even thinking about it, right? Because this is how they typically see black people. So why would they think there, that there's another element to it? Um, so I think, I think it's, I think it's everything. And I, I, look, um, History and how we discover and learn about ourselves is through story, right? And if we're not telling the stories about ourselves, it's going to get written by somebody else in the way that they want to see it or the way they think they know. Um, and again, I go back to earlier in this conversation, I, I said I wanted to work in television, but I didn't know how to do it. Um, and so it was hard for me to get there. And I went to law school instead, right? And I'm not mad at that. Mm -hmm. But what I realize, what I really feel now is storytelling is, is, is setting the record. It's, 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 it's leaving a record of who we are and it's critical and important. And it's, it's, and we need more black and brown people telling those stories, whether we're writing books or making television and film music, whatever, even, even painting and the arts are so important because that is what lasts in terms of the record of who we are and what we did while we are here. Yeah, I love that. I remember this African proverb that I often use when I start a workshop and it, the African proverb says, until the lion learns to write, the story will always glorify the hunter. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so who's there telling the story always matters. And we need more of us telling the stories in all the forms, which even include the ways that we're just telling our stories to each other. Right. Exactly. Which is another way that we shift in our culture, even as, you know, just sharing being a very original and primal part of the storytelling from one to another and not being silenced and keeping it to yourself. Right. 
And that's why this critical race theory fight is on right now, because they use the term critical race theory. But what we're talking about is just telling history, just telling exactly. the true history from the perspective of black people. They right. don't want that history told. They don't like the way it reads. They don't want it told. But we have it to makes them it. uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> I, the truth, the truth will set you free. Um, but exactly that that part they don't read. And then, you know, in talking about the power of narratives, you see that is an important example where the word has been completely contorted and twisted into a whole nother narrative that woke. And, you know, these become powerful, dangerously powerful exactly. narratives that are actually so harmful, right? And aren't even rooted in the truth. And so we definitely need, um, I mean, when we think about storytelling being powerful, we've seen it on both sides, even how it does harm um, and how people actually Absolutely. create new language and words and all those things that can send a whole something in a completely different direction. It's crazy. Right. It is, it really is. But again, the exciting thing about where we are with technology these days, I feel like more and more truth is being uncovered, you know, uh, and, and more and more we're seeing stories told from various perspectives. So, you know, um, I feel like the cat's a little out of the bag, even though there are people in other in areas in this country trying to squelch it. Uh, but I, but I sense that more and more truth is being uncovered more stories. Yeah from our past are being told and more people today are telling our stories. But I will say, I think black people in Hollywood need to be careful uh, and accountable not to get lulled into uh, the Hollywood machine, which then has us telling stories that they want us to tell, not, not the stories that we need to tell. Right. And so that's also a balancing act and you know something that we have to be mindful of, like our narrative is not under our full control yet. Um, and so I assume, you know, we need probably more decision makers, folks who have the money to fund, perhaps greater distribution channels. I don't know this world, but, you know, until we, it is, it is, it is likely that until we have more control and more access and more leadership in those mechanisms, we will still be in a bit of a struggle. Yeah, it's hard yeah. and yeah, it's, it's hard. and it costs money. Again, it's a business and it does cost money. So when you, when money's involved, you know, you know. Right, all the things, all the exactly. things. <laughs> Tanya, thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Um, you know, I close every episode of Birthright by asking this question. What is our birthright? Our birthright is to be free. That's how, that's what I say. Our birthright is to be free, to tap into the spirit that brought you here, that's the divine telling you your purpose and, and we have to live it out. And I think it's, I think, it, I think maybe, maybe even going further, I would say our birthright is to discover our true purpose and to live it fully. And it's, it's obviously is very unique and different for every person, but every person should have the right to be able to find their path, live out their unique and important purpose that ultimately serves all of us. I love that. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Kimberly, for this amazing conversation. Season two of Birthright is funded by the California Healthcare Foundation and the Commonwealth Fund. 
Birthright is produced by Motor City Woman Studios in Detroit with Kimberly Seals Allers as executive producer and Alexa Imani Spencer as researcher and assistant producer. Our music is by Dantrell Robinson, and we dedicate this season in his memory. And don't forget to subscribe to Birthright wherever you get your podcast. Give us a rating and review if you like what you hear. Find episode notes and learn more at birthrightpodcast.com. And don't forget to like and follow the Birthright Podcast YouTube page for exclusive videos and extras. Follow at IMKSealsAllers on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and please support our Patreon account. Together, we are reclaiming our birthright one story at a time. <laughs>